Today, we're going to pick back up where we were before we had Edward last week on Hebrews. We're going to pick back up and talk more about Paul's terms uh, of the human body. You know, what terms does Paul use? How does he use them? Uh, what significance can we derive from that? What does it mean to us when Paul uses these terms? I don't know how many of you watch Food Network. I love Food Network. Okay. Food Network is what makes me really happy. My TV does not have a tasting or a smelling feature. I've tried to scratch and sniff on the screen a few times, but it doesn't work. Uh, if it did, I think I would would uh, have I would I would not wear the clothes that I just barely fit into right now. Um, one of my favorites on Food Network is Alton Brown. You ever see Alton Brown in his shows? Yeah, he combines sort of the science behind what's going on with a flair and personality and, and ultimately some cooking. Uh, I've gotten his books before, and I bring Alton Brown into our theological discussion on Paul's anthropological terms because he's got a rule. If he's going to buy something for his kitchen, if he's going to buy a tool for his kitchen, he'll never buy a tool that only has one purpose. He says you can almost always find a tool that'll do that one thing, but will do more. So it's a waste of money and a waste of economics. And he did one example for, he, he took a, the end of a broomstick, the wooden end, and one end of it he carved a little triangle into so he could use it to push in the, 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 the what's, racks in his oven that are hot. But he said, why just do that? And he took the other end and he kind of did a notch out of it so that he could pull out the racks that are hot. One tool, two functions. Pretty economical. Makes a lot of sense. At least it does to me. Well, it's not just something that applies in the kitchen. The human language does the same thing. Some languages do it more than others. But if we took, for example, today we're going to study the word body. And if I pulled out volume two of the Oxford English Dictionary and looked up the word body, with multi-columns, it stretches over five pages to define the English word body. That shouldn't surprise you. Think about it. Body could reference just the, the physical part of man. You know, Dr. House will say, your body has a disease. Right? It can reference the entire person. The whole person. You know, Paul, I want everybody to hear this. That's an English usage of the word body where we're talking about the entire person. Everybody. Not just wanting you to hear it in your physical frame, but wants you to hear it. It can mean a corpse. You'll know Monk is back for his eighth and final season. The body was found here. Well, he's talking about the corpse. Our English word body can refer to the main or the central part of something. For example, after I get through with this introduction, I'm going to get into the body of the lesson. You get to the body of a speech. It can reference the shell of a car, which is dented. You take it to the body shop. Or how about Lake Conroe, a body of water north of here. 
Or how about a body of experts who will examine whatever issue you need them to examine and give you an expert opinion? Oh, there are more. Body could mean the trunk of your, your, your physique as opposed to your head or your arms or your legs. You know, in boxing, if you get a body blow, it's as opposed to a head shot. The word body in the English language means a lot of different things. So one thing I like to do is try to figure out where we got our word body from to start with. If we look at body, body as an English word, the, the philologists, those are people who love words and study words, the philologists are uncertain where our word came from. They're able to trace it at least, boy, with football season right around the corner, you just feel goofy even doing that, don't you? Let's do it this way. They're able to trace the word body to at least two different sources, and they don't know where those sources came from. But in Old English, that's also called Anglo-Saxon, in Old English, they had a word bodig, and Old English is the English that was spoken by the Anglo-Saxons between about 450 and 1150 A.D. So they had a word bodig. Eh, our word body comes from that. There's also, if we go to Old High German, which would be part of Central Germany right now, they had um, bata as a word back between the 500s and the 1050s. Sometimes you still hear that on certain people's television stations, you know, when they're talking about how many nose jobs someone has had, they say, I believe she has had a lot of work on her bata. But that's just, I guess, if you watch that one person. <laughs> Our problem is, Paul didn't write in Old English, he didn't write in New English, he didn't write in Middle English, he didn't write in Old High German, New Low German, any kind of German. Paul wrote in Koine Greek. And in Koine Greek, the word that we translate in our Bible's body is a Greek word, soma. Soma. We get the word psychosomatic from it. It's where your body is sick, but it's all in your psycho. It's all in your, 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 your brain. All right? We use the Greek word some... But we need to recognize that Paul was using a Greek word, soma. So we're going to use soma as part of our lesson because we don't want our English word body. Uh, we, we use it in so many different ways. I want to try and get out of that filter and get into Paul's way of thinking. How did Paul think when Paul used the word body? Why did certainly God and the Holy Spirit is directing Paul, but what is Paul's process of selecting that word body. What did soma mean to Paul? This is a difficult thing. There, we actually have a problem trying to figure out what Paul meant when Paul wrote soma. In one sense, we know Paul had very strong Greek knowledge. He's able to quote the Greek poets at Athens on the, uh, uh, before the council on Mars Hill. We know that Paul came from originally a Greek city, Tarsus. We know that Paul's able to speak Greek. He's a, an apostle to the Greeks. We know that Paul used Greek uh, illustrations, used Greek terms. 
Paul has a strong Greek knowledge base. And the Greeks have a knowledge, that uh, a usage of the word soma. We can find it in a lot of Greek writings. But we also know Paul was a Jew. Paul not just was a Jew, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He read Hebrew, he spoke Hebrew, he spoke Aramaic. He studied at the feet of the most wonderful rabbinical teachers that Jerusalem and, and Judaism had to offer. And the reason this is a problem for us is because the Greek idea of what the soma is and the body and the way man is made up and the Hebrew idea of what the body is are as different as the Greek and Hebrew alphabet. So I'll throw up the first two letters of the Greek and Hebrew alphabet for you to show you how different they are. That's your Greek alpha. That's your Greek beta. From that we get our alpha beta, our alphabet, right? Here's your Hebrew aleph. And here's your Hebrew bait. From that I guess we'd get our aleph bait instead of our alphabet. They're pretty different, aren't they? Just as starkly different are the ideas of the difference between body in Greek thought and body in biblical Hebrew thought. They're, they're, they're radically different. They thought of man in a much different fashion. And I want to give you a warning here. Which one's most like our alphabet? Yeah, the Greek comes pretty close, doesn't it? Well, the warning is this. Western civilization, of which we're a product not just by alphabet but by thought, Western civilization also tends to follow the Greek ideas on the makeup of man. I'm going to pause for just a moment and come over to the Elmo. And I want to I share with you something on the Elmo here. There was a Greek fellow named uh, 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 Socrates. He had a student. Um, his student's name, make this a little bigger, was Plato. Plato wrote a work called the Fido, not the dog, the Fido. And in the Fido... Plato is talking about what happened in Socrates when Socrates was in prison about to die and the dialogue that Socrates had. And Plato uses this dialogue to set Plato's philosophy out on, on the makeup of man. Plato's not writing it down because Plato disagreed with it. Plato's writing it down to kind of give authority to what Plato believed. You can buy the Phaedo and read it. It's a great read. It's fascinating. But it's in the Phaedo that Plato has Socrates explaining to these fellas that within the physical body lies a soul. And that the soul existed before birth. Socrates says that's how, so many, that's how we know things already when we're born. Babies already know how to suckle to their mothers. Because the, the soul existed, Socrates says, before birth. Socrates says the soul is immortal. It will continue to live after birth. 
I mean, after death, the body ultimately is simply the prison that's holding the soul captive. So Socrates says, I don't fear death. As a philosopher, I welcome death because once my body's destroyed, my soul is set free. This was Socrates being quoted by Plato, which takes another level through Plato's successor, Aristotle. But this is the Greek mentality that is starkly different than what the Old Testament presents as the makeup of man. We in Western civilization have to be careful because we have a tendency to follow Greek thought in so many different areas. And there's this part of us that thinks, okay, well, I am this physical body, but within me is my soul or my, my, my essence, which at some point will be set free from this body. And as Christians uh, uh, within our tradition, we understand God will give us another body, but it's like he's going to transplant, maybe purify and buff up this same conscious soul into a new body. And I'm not sure that's where Scripture is on this, and I'm not sure that's where Paul is on this. I can affirm to you that's Greek philosophy, but maybe that's Greek to me, or should be. So we're going to examine this over the next several weeks, not just today. Today we're looking at body, but we've got some more as we dig into this. I can't do this in one lesson. I'm sorry. I do hope it's interesting enough to you to come back because we'll try and unfold this as we go along. When Paul uses the word body, Paul doesn't use it in a Greek sense of it being a shell, a physical shell that's got the real Paul locked up inside. For Paul, the body is the person. The body is, is not to be separated from the person. Now, that doesn't mean the person may not be other things as well. Paul certainly talks in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 about the you know, body, soul, spirit. Paul will use, talk about the inner man and the outer man. And we're going to have to get into those things. But when we look at Paul and the word body, we've got to understand that Paul's core use of body, these two quotes from J, John Robertson says it, Soma for Paul does not mean simply something external to a man. It is indeed what he is. Or it's not that man has a body. Man is a body. He is flesh animated by soul and spirit. The whole is a unity. See, we start thinking that the body is the prison house of the soul and then all of a sudden we start drawing these lines of separation that Paul would not let us draw. I know people who've justified doing things with their lives that are wrong and sinful by saying, well, that was really just my body. I had a man come to me once and say, I think my wife knows that I've been with a prostitute. What should I do? I said, well, number one, you understand what you should have done or not done. Let's make sure we're clear there. Number two, I think you probably need to go talk to Lewis. Number three, I, would, I think he's going to suggest to you there's a time of confession, not just before the Lord, but with your wife. And he says, well, what I need to do is help her understand it wasn't really me. It was my body. 
yeah, that one's really going to work. Um, the sad part is he meant it. He had somehow rationalized that this was his body doing something and that that, 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 that was a lesser thing. And there were schisms within early Christianity that came out of Greek thought. The, 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 the heresies in early Christianity that taught that the body uh, truly is the flesh. This is bad and corrupt and evil. And, but inside is good. And so either you just beat the body or you, you deny and deprive the body or you go ahead and just let the body have its way because there's not really much you can do with this broken body. It's the inside that's genuine and real. That's very Greek heresy. That's not Paul's idea. So let's see how Paul fleshes out the word body. That's kind of a joke. Fleshed out the word body. Okay. I can only make them. I can't be responsible for appreciating them. First thing I want to do. If for Paul... Well, let's, let's digress and go to Scripture for a moment. You might be saying, Lanier, I'm not so sure Paul believes the body is, is uh, the whole man. And I want to suggest for you some Scriptures that indicate this. I don't know how else to do it. Romans chapter 12. This is a Scripture a lot of us know well. But look at it in light of what we're saying. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do we see that? Present your bodies, your whole person, all that you are, your emotion, your heart, your will, as well as your physical presence. But Paul doesn't use body just to mean your physical presence. He's not calling on you simply to take your physical presence and present it to God as a living sacrifice. Actually, if he meant that, a living sacrifice of your physical body is not really at all what he's calling you to do in in a sacrifice sense. But he's talking about a spiritual worship. He's talking about the whole person. All that you are is what he means. You know, and, and he'll say this a little bit later on in verse 4 of Romans 12 where he says, As in one body, soma, we have many members. And the members don't have all the same function. So we, though many, are one soma in Christ. He's saying, you know, you got different members. Well, he doesn't just mean head, shoulders, knees, and toes. He's talking about your heart and your mind and your soul. There's, there's all parts of you within your body. But the body, the soma for Paul, is the whole person. This is why we read 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 13, and understand it a little different. Paul says, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. But then he says, the soma, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the soma, the body. He says in 15, Don't you know that your somas, your bodies, are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul's not saying there that your physical body alone belongs to Christ. He's saying all of you does. Paul's saying all of you is meant for the Lord. When you join yourself to a prostitute or anyone in improper sex, you're not just physically uniting the body, as my friend tried to suggest to me. There is an emotional bond. There is a, a, a spiritual intimacy. There is something beyond merely the physical. And so Paul's telling people to be careful what they do with their bodies because just as there's something beyond the mere physical when you join with someone in sexual union, there's something beyond the mere physical when you join with the Lord. I didn't simply give God my body. He's got my mind. He's got my heart. The Lord says to love the Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All that you are. That's what he gets. And this is why Paul finishes this discussion in verse 16. And he says, don't you know that whoever joins to a prostitute becomes one body with her? One body. He doesn't mean there, he's not merely drawing a, a, um, a picture of a union between two flesh becoming one. He's using that picture to illustrate the truth that it's two beings tying themselves together in ways that are improper. Does that make sense? It's the reason I want my daughters to grow up. And understand that we may live in a permissive age where on TV it looks like anybody who is in close to adulthood, when they find the right people, can have sexual intimacy with no problems. I want them to understand that they will reach a point where my daughters will find the husband that God has set for them in their lives, if God has indeed set a husband for them. Because there's blessings in being single too. But my daughters, if, they, if there is a husband for them and they find that husband, it is my hope that they present that husband with a treasure that has not been shared with others. Because it truly is more than physical. It, it, it's not just physical unity. Now, what are the implications for this? Go back to the slide where I was. What are the implications for this on the fall of man? Let's see how Paul fleshes out the body. Paul talks, Paul's got almost an entire theology just off the word soma. He does. It's incredible what Paul does with soma, okay? Paul, with soma, talks about the way it involves us with the fall. I'll give you uh, an example or two. Romans 1.24 in Romans 1, verse 24, Paul's talking about the folks who claim to be wise, claim to know God, but didn't honor God as God, didn't acknowledge Him as God, but traded Him away for something else that was lesser. And then Paul says in verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. See, it's more than just the body. Lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their soma among themselves. 
they disowned. Paul didn't, is not saying he merely gave them up for their physical bodies. The fall affected all of us everywhere. And specifically people not honoring God have been given up, Paul says, to, in their entireties. The entire person. The heart. The mind. However you think of a person. Those aspects... And, and I hope over this time of this class we'll bring our terminology in alignment with Paul. But we're not through all the terminology yet. So at this point in time, I've got to use global terminology for us. And in global terminology, all that you think of that as a person, Paul's saying, has been given up to the dishonoring of themselves. When someone dishonors themselves physically, they're dishonoring themselves more than beyond the physical. Look at later on in Romans how Paul deals with this word soma and the fall. In Romans 7, where he struggles with, with sin and the fuss and, and the bother and the difficulties in life, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this soma of death? He doesn't simply mean who's going to deliver me from the bad knees I have or this ache in my back or my inability to sleep well at night or this driving headache. Paul's talking about the problems he has as a sinner who knows what's right and is not able to do it. Knows what's wrong and does it anyway. As a believer and he struggles with it because he's in a fallen body even though God's spirit, eternal spirit is at work within him. And there are works of God within him that will last for eternity. Paul himself, though, knows that there's still within him this body uh, soma of death, as he calls it. Or look at what he says in chapter 8, verse 10. He says, if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, even though your body's dead because of sin, it's not just that way. You've got a spirit of life because of righteousness. This is why we don't despair. Even though our soma that we have right now, our personage has this death, has this fallen nature, is not adequate, is not up to the task, doesn't live right, doesn't think right, doesn't feel right. In spite of that, we have the assurance that there is a spirit of life within those who are in Christ that has set us free in a sense. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the, the deeds of the body. He doesn't mean simply there the deeds of your physical body. I think God made it clear he's more concerned about your heart. What's more concerned, let me put it this way, about your mind. More concerned about how your, your, your intentions are. Because from those flow the actions. So Paul's saying, you know, we have a fallen body. As a result of the fall, it's not simply our... Sometimes we think, oh, as a result of the fall, from a body perspective, it means my body has sickness and disease. Well, your body does have sickness and disease as a result of the fall, that's true. But, but from Paul's language of soma, so does your mind, so does your, your emotions, 
So does your, your, your feelings. It's all there. Now, that's one way Paul takes the word soma and uses it. Look at how Paul uses soma on a theology of salvation. Paul takes soma with salvation. And if we go back to Romans 7, and we're still dancing around these same passages. My copy didn't work well, so I had to ink it in. Romans 7 is where I am. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the soma of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You not only have a soma that's fallen, you not only have a, excuse me, a soma that has trouble from the fall. But you've been saved by the soma of Christ. Now, you're not saved simply because Jesus' physical carcass was hanging on a cross. You're saved because Jesus, the man, God, both, was hanging on the cross. Jesus was there emotionally. Jesus was there intellectually. Jesus was there spiritually. Jesus was on that cross dying. His soma for your soma. Does that make sense? He has now reconciled Christ. This is in Colossians 1.22. Christ has now reconciled in his soma of flesh. Now, that may make you think, oh, well, he's talking about his physical carcass. We'll deal with flesh later. Another very specific word of Paul's. But for now, you know what soma is. He has reconciled in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The man... The fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ by his death. And do you know what was within the fullness of Christ? Who dwelt within? Who, who now is within our man in heaven? If you were here last week with Edward. Paul says it. Colossians 2.9. He says, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells, present tense, bodily. Well, that doesn't mean that it's the physical. That means it's the whole package. It's the whole thing. Jesus is not lesser God, shorter God, miniature God, God light. In Jesus, right now, our man in heaven, in whom we live, breathe, and by whom we are saved, in him, the fullness of God dwells bodily soma so we have paul using soma not only for the fall we have paul using soma for salvation here's one won't come as a shock to you paul uses soma to refer to the church right the body of christ i we're all nodding our heads pastor fleming mentioned it multiple times this morning i'm not going to take the time to put all of these on the screen I'm going to read them to you, though. Ephesians 1.23. Who are the church? God put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Got it? Ephesians 4.4. 4. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. 4, 11, and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body, soma, of Christ. Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole soma, body. Ephesians 5.23 Husband, head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Okay, church body. Colossians 1.18 He is the head of the body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter talks about how Paul's saying there are all these different ministries and all these different gifts and uses the body as a comparison. I mean, is it pretty obvious, Soma, the body is used by Paul to describe the church? We all, if you already knew that when you came in here, raise your hand. That's how much we know it. But here's something that may shock you. It's found nowhere else in the Bible except Paul. Nobody else ever uses the word body to define the church, the body of Christ, except Paul. That's uniquely Pauline theology. Only Paul says the church is the body of Christ. He says it so many times. He uses it in so many wonderful ways. But it's a unique contribution that God brought to us, a unique understanding that God gave us, which is so common in our language. But it's especially appropriate on a Sunday like this because Pastor Fleming's preaching his lesson this morning about how important it is to get connected. We have connection groups. We're not, this is not just a, a, a class for simply standing up and teaching. This is still a class where we want people to get connected because as Paul, uniquely Paul, would tell us, we are the body of Christ. And it does not function well if we simply send in one of our fingers and three toes. The body needs to be connected. And the way we connect with each other. I'm not saying there aren't times where we just need a little brief respite. Everybody needs some alone time. But be very careful. Because we gather together to encourage each other. But that requires us to know each other. And if you're at a place in your life where you feel disconnected. The answer is not call you know, someone up simply. That may be a great thing to do. But, but part of the answer is get in a connection group here. Get with a couple of families and plug in. It works because it's what God's designed. We are the body of Christ, Paul would say. Paul would also tell us the soma is used to sustain believers, the body. What's he talking about there? The bread, the Eucharist. In the First Corinthians passages where he repeats what Jesus said, this is my body, Paul takes it an extra step. And says, you know, this is, this is the body of Christ which we all share because we all share with each other. And he extrapolates it out to us being the body, sharing in the body. And we examine the body, which means examine ourselves, the soma. Doesn't mean examine our physical, ah, I can't take communion, I have a hangnail. 
No, that's not what he means when he says examine the soma, the body. Examine yourselves. But he also means examine the body. If you've got something against someone else and you want to take communion, recognize you're all together in Christ in one body. You go sort it out. There is no reason this hand should hate this hand. As long as we've got the same head. And so Paul's uh, there. Now, I can't leave body alone without, you know, if we're looking at Paul's theology of soma, it's the soma of the fallen believer, but uh, I mean the fallen man. It's the soma of believer in Christ where we get salvation. We are somaed into the soma of, of the church where we receive the communion and the sustenance and the Lord's Supper as soma. That's pretty complete theology, isn't it? All rolled into one word. Alton Brown would be proud of him. But he doesn't leave it there because he talks about soma and our destiny. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul goes into a lot of detail about what happens to us in the future. Not as much detail as I would like in all candor, um, but a whole lot of detail. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 35, where Paul says, someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised and what kind of soma do they get? What kind of soma goes with the person who's raised from the dead? Paul says, okay, that's kind of stupid. Um, he says it a little differently, but that's sort of what he means. You foolish person. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the soma that you're going to get. It's just a bare kernel. Maybe like a wheat or some other grain. God is going to give it a soma as God has chosen. And to each kind of seed, it's going to get its own soma. All flesh isn't the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals. It's the same principle with flesh, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly somas. There are earthly somas. Whoops. Heavenly somas, there are earthly somas, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. This is the way it is with the resurrection of the dead. What's sown, what dies, is perishable. The soma you're going to get is imperishable. The soma you have now is in dishonor. It's fallen. It's inadequate. And not just the body, but, but, but your feelings, your, your, your thoughts. It's, it's dishonor. But it's going to be raised in glory. The soma that you've got now is weak. But your soma that God will give you will be one of power. The soma you have now is a natural body. We're going to get into that term. It's a natural soma as opposed to a spiritual soma. That does not mean that you won't have appearance that you won't have uh, uh, I, Paul's not saying you become Casper the friendly ghost after you die all right it's raised a spiritual soma if there's a natural soma there's a spiritual soma you will have a soma in the resurrection you will have personality you will have memory you will have 
heart. You will be able to praise God from the depths of your being. You will recognize your loved ones. You will gather together. I will be with you in glory and I cannot wait for that day. I miss my father. I miss the loved ones who've gone before. I'm sure you miss your husband. But that day of glory is one where it's not, oh, I wonder if I'll recognize. Of course. Paul would say, don't be stupid. God's going to give you. The only difference is, is the body is going to be one he picked out, which is not going to be shortchanged. It's not going to be dishonorable. It's not going to be weak. It's powerful. And all that it is, and it glorious and imperishable. And that's what we have waiting for us after death. However, in this class, what we have waiting for us is man, one part, two part, three part, or more. Is what is this flesh? What is the spirit? What's the soul? What's the mind? What's consciousness? These are things still to come. Your points for home and mine. You, he has now reconciled in his body. Okay, just stop for just a minute because we're all going to walk out of here. And we take off Sunday school, life group, church, and we walk into the world. And the question I have for you is realizing, realizing that Jesus reconciled you in his body, in all that he is. It wasn't simply an incarnation where he put on flesh. It's a full humanity as well as a full divinity. And that full humanity, all of his thoughts, his feelings, his hopes, his desires, everything crucified on our behalf. My question is, what are we going to give him back? Our, our physical body, our heart, our emotions, our feelings, our worries, anxieties, concerns, our destiny, our future, our friendships, our decisions, our choices. How on earth could we ever give him anything less than everything? You and I are the body of Christ, Paul says. Let's get close to the body. Let's don't see each other simply over donuts. Let's figure out some intimacy so that we can help each other out in need. And know that to the resurrected God gives a body as God has chosen. Don't have any fear. Don't have any dread of death. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. Paul didn't tell us and neither did God. But he assured us of what will happen. And it's not anything to fear. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for your love. And it is my prayer that you'll open up our eyes to what it means that you have made us as we are. Though fallen, you recreate within us your godliness. It is my prayer that we'll become what you would have us be. It is my prayer that you minister to us as whole persons and that we minister to each other the same way as we await the body you prepare for us for eternity. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our reconciler.
our sustenance, our strength, our man in heaven.